AI, hello. Welcome back to Smoke Show. This is Claire, and today we're going to talk about the disappointing documentary, Bama Rush. Whew, okay. So, full disclosure, this is actually the second time I'm recording this podcast, because last night I watched this documentary, started it way too late, it's my week off work, and that means my sleep schedule is immediately fucked up. So... I watched the, I started watching this at like 1130 at night. Not a great choice. It's an hour and 40 minutes. Watched every single minute of it. Regret the fact that I did that. I love documentaries. They're one of my favorite things in the world. And when I see a bad one, I just go into kind of a blind rage um, because it's just such a wasted opportunity. They had uh, such an interesting and like potentially very nuanced thing to tackle here. And like, if there's anything that deserves a docu-series, it might be Bama Rush. Like, just in terms of like how, like there wasn't enough time to get into it. And I know that because I have already recorded a podcast about this because I was such a fucking such a rage last night at 1.30 in the morning. I truly could not go to bed before recording a podcast about it because I just had to get my thoughts out. Turns out not the most listenable medium. Um, I... <laughs> <laughs> like me just getting my thoughts out. It's it's not that this is more planned. I have I've written out two pages of notes and kind of planned out the structure because I'm trying. Uh, <laughs> we'll see if I can stick to it. But I do just think that this documentary, the reason that I'm so passionate about it is because I have been a culture vulture in the sorority fraternity rush world since I was like 18. I knew that I never wanted to join one. Like just I've been in situations that were sorority like I went to an all girls summer camp for years that basically every single one of my bunkies joined a sorority if they went to that kind of school. And it's just not for me. I love rituals like I'm not the reason it wasn't for me is because I don't work in those types of homogenous groups. And there are things I grew up fat. That's it. Let's just say that. I was a fat girl. You know what I mean? Like, it's taking yourself out of the process before you really go in it. But also, what evidence would I have had otherwise? So that's what growing up as a fat kid is like, is just constantly knowing that, like, despite your talents, you probably won't be invited to certain things because people just don't want to look at fat bodies and they don't really seem to want to examine their fat phobia so much as just pretend fat people don't exist in society. Anyway, that's a different critique. It does come up a little bit in this documentary, but not nearly enough. Uh, they had some really interesting opportunities that they could have taken to explore body dysmorphia, eating disorder culture, how joining a sorority is actually one of the worst things you can do if you have one of those issues. Um, never talks about it. It's just like, nope, these are the... Oh. <laughs> this documentary is so uncritical of what sororities actually are versus what they're telling these girls. This documentary literally treats, I feel like it literally treats sororities as if they are bastions of acceptance and as if these girls do, once they get in, they just get accepted and they never have these problems again. Like, I know that that's like not true. Like one of the girls who is featured in it was kicked out of the sorority she was promised to the year before or like rushed the year before. Um, because she wore like the wrong sticker on a sweatshirt. Very inane, very stupid, really exemplifies like kind of the um, inner cop culture, certainly of sororities and fraternities, but also like how they'll use standards against each other. There's a lot of drama with that kind of stuff. The documentary really doesn't feel like touching that. They're just kind of like, look at these girls who are so desperate for acceptance that they'll kind of do anything and they'll pay for friends and like all of this stuff. And it just, it doesn't say anything. I don't know. It just, ah, oh. <laughs> missed opportunities, the documentary. That's what they should have called this. It just, 
there's so much interesting shit. And the documentary kind of like looks at it as it passes by at a pretty leisurely pace. Feels like they could have reached out and like, hey, you want to come in here and talk about that thing that you mentioned? That's actually way more interesting than anything else we're saying in this hour and 40 minutes. Part of it, I will say, definitely is the way it is because they got shut out of rush process. So Bama Rush, back to the beginning, just in case you are not someone who I have talked the ear off about Bama Rush to or uh, don't care about sororities or uh, just, you know, didn't know that there was an entire subculture online of uh, 40 plus women dedicated to determining who was be drafted into what sorority um, because of TikToks that they saw. Because we can, in fact, know everything we need to know about a person through a 20 second video clip. <laughs> I don't know why you guys didn't know that. So... <laughs> Let's start with my personal rabbit hole. I fell into Bama Rush uh, like six years ago. This is one of the like, I uh, knew about this before. It was cool to know about this, but it's not cool to know about it. It wasn't cool then and it's not cool now. It's just odd. Just one of those cultural fascinations I have and it's fine. Um, I, when I was like, when I went to college, I went to Ithaca. We didn't have sororities and fraternities, but you could rush at Cornell if you wanted to. Cornell had a January rush. So just in case, I don't know, let's do a vocab lesson up front. Rush and recruitment are the same thing. It is a predetermined amount of days set by the university in which girls move through the process of being matched with the correct house for them. That implies that there is a correct house for everybody and there's not. I want to look up statistics right now because the documentary fucking didn't do that. So according to AL.com, Alabama.com, in... 2022, 2,500 women participated and 2,300 received bids. That feels really high for the bid number to um, recruit. Like, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because they get, fo- like, not they in the documentary. The documentary doesn't focus on any of the girls who went through that kind of process of, like, rushing and getting dropped by every single house. But basically, 2,500 girls in mid-August in Alabama in the hot 95, super humid weather, uh, walk around all day going to different mansions where girls who are dressed in different themed outfits try to convince them that that mansion feels like home and that's where they'll find all their best friends for the next four years. They then have, like, so the first round... Every single girl going through recruitment goes to every single house. You have to go to every single house. It You would absolutely be, like, not considered if you, like, just, like, miss a party. Even there are girls who are going in who know that they don't want certain sororities, that they want to be dropped by certain houses because there's a whole ranking system that determines which houses are actually the cool houses. And the documentary doesn't even really get into how those are determined, and it doesn't even show a fucking screen cap of GreekLife.com, GreekRank.com. I'm so sorry. So, like, what the fuck are we doing here, movie? Um, do they even know the Greek rank exists? Did anybody say those words to them? Did like it just it, it boggles the mind how many things I just was like missed, missed, missed. So these girls walk around. They go to all 12 houses. There's like two different at Alabama. You can join one of the Divine Nine sororities, which are the historically black sororities. Or you can go the Panhellenic route, which is uh, white sororities. And actually at Alabama, the Panhellenic were not officially integrated until like 2013. Does the documentary go into the recent history of racism, the recent hazing around racism, the accusations that happened with Pi Fi in like 2016 of like pretty violent? Ra- nope, nope, doesn't touch it. Mm-mm. 
um, talks about the cross burning that happened in the 70s and then acts like that's not still kind of like the vibe on campus today and stuff. Just very strange choices by this movie to like not. I don't know. I don't know if they just got like scared of portraying Greek life a certain way or like being honest about what it is. But um, so the girls, they walk around all the houses. They meet all the they meet every single house and they get talked to by certain girls. Um, something to know about recruitment is that it is the most important thing a sorority does all year because sororities are money making machines. They are recruiting girls to come in and pay dues and join this club and sisterhood. And in return, they promise them social benefits and philanthropy opportunities because every single sorority has a charity or a cause that they work for and they do this thing. And I'm sure that it is, you know, some girl's favorite part of the sorority, but like, let's, we can cut the shit. Nobody's actually joining a sorority because they're like, oh, I really like that they do this charity work instead of this charity. Like, it's just not, that's not what's happening. Um, It's kind of one of those, like, we don't question why boys want to join frats. No guy ever has to be like, oh, yeah, I wanted to join a frat because of all of the networking opportunities and all the philanthropy that we do. It's like very obvious, like we don't question it. So anyway, just want to throw that out there. I think that it's like it's one of those things where like, yeah, I have a lot of critiques of sororities, but I also have a lot of critiques about how we critique the girls who go into it. So I don't want to come off as one of those people who are like, yeah, nobody's joining for the philanthropy. I'm sure for a lot of people, the philanthropy is a really nice bonus and like they would do volunteer work anyway. Girls who get into Bama sororities have a certain caliber of existence already because you have to have a resume going in. See, this is the kind of shit that like the documentary kind of gets into of like, the preparation and how far ahead, but they're mostly like, they've been looking at outfits since January for something happening in August. And it's like, well, actually they've had to call 13 random women who they, maybe not random, maybe they know them, maybe it's their aunt because it's a legacy admit. You have to have recommendation letters from alumni of each chapter in your little like portfolio book that you put together. You have to have a resume with a headshot and of all of your like quote unquote professional accomplishments. There are so many girls who talk about the fact that in high school, the only reason they got good grades was to join a sorority. And like that to me is fascinating. We never talk about her, how like girls track themselves in a certain way. Like, yes, society obviously tracks a lot of people. If you're put into pageants by your parent at 18 months old, I don't actually think that you wanted to be on stage. I think your parent has a weird obsession with people telling them that their baby is really cute because a lot of people who don't get enough attention on their own use other things in order to gain that attention. It's why people who have enormously oversized large dogs, yeah, I don't trust them for a single second. I've worked with many of them. And I'm just, this is a generalization. I'm not saying if you have an Irish wolfhound, I think this of you. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying that if you meet someone who has an enormous dog and you tell them, wow, your dog is really big and they light up in a certain way, Yeah, they got that dog as a conversation starter because they needed something to have that gave them a lot of attention. And people use their pets for that all the time. It's why so many people start like Instagrams for their dogs. And then they'll write captions as their dogs. And then apparently like people would send DMs to each other pretending to be their own dogs. Like this is this is my own personal judgment of pet Instagrams accounts that write human H-O-O-M-A-N or M-U-N even worse. Um, at Bama first two days because there's 12 houses in the Panhellenic which is the one we're talking about here the Divine Nine do not get enough time in the documentary could have been a docuseries would have been really fascinating again um, nobody wants to spend time talking about these stories despite the fact that I think they are actually like extremely foundational and representative of how femininity has transformed over time because they talk about how the original sororities were created by women who were in co-ed 
education situations for the first time and how this was like really a focus of them to make sure that they succeeded and like supported each other. And I think that that's really interesting because it's basically just codified friend groups with rules, which is like, you know how like all little girls make potions in the woods kind of thing? Like that's what that feels like to me is like, oh, these were just friend groups who named themselves. <laughs> It, it would be so like silly, dorky, goofy if it happened today, but because it happened in 1898 and they, there were like 10 girls on campus that liked each other. And so they all met up and were like, hey, let's like make sure we all help each other do get jobs and stuff. Um, and then it evolved into what it is now. And we do not track that process or evolution or what women were focused on, like when they showed up. I recently found out that in England during the suffragette movement, there were 25 feminist magazines. <laughs> I can't even name 25 feminist websites. Like, the way that we talk about rights movements is fascinating. This is like a whole different thing, so I'm going to try not to tangent too much. But like the way that we talk about the suffragettes as if it was like 10 Looney Tunes just like chaining themselves to fences. And that was how we got the vote. And it's like, actually, no, there was a huge feminist wave at the time. This rights movement was incredibly organized. The reason that you only know about the people who they can make look like Looney Tunes is so that they can convince you that these rights were not popular. They were won by like five women who just we needed to shut them up. So, of course, we gave them the thing, despite the fact that like in America, before women even had the vote, there were female candidates for stuff. It's just fascinating. Anyway, the feminist movement was a lot larger than we like to um, historically consider, because if we consider it, then we also have to consider how far we backslid. Um, but mm, this might be because a New Yorker writer tweeted something so fucking innocuous, like just so fucking enraging about how we should blame young, like how she's mad at young women for the fall of Roe. Just like, what? <laughs> how? Um, but this is how it's a historical, um, and, uh, why, why blame the men who took away our rights and sit on the illegitimate Supreme Court when you're going to stand blame women? Um, but anyway. They go to these houses. There's 12 houses. They go to like eight and four. You know what I mean? So all these girls, they're in there. Um, they get grouped up. So when you're a freshman, okay, let's just like take you through the freshman week. As far as I understand it, as somebody who has consumed way too much Bama Rush content for a good six years now. Uh, <laughs> so you are a fresh, not even freshman yet because it's before the school year starts that this happens at Bama. You show up and you get put in a group of like 10 to 12 other girls with a an older girl who is a part of a sorority but has um like you don't know what sorority she's part of and she's she's disaffiliated with her sorority for the week so like she can talk about any of the sororities you won't know which one she's in and that's like so that you won't be swayed or blah 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 so these are called ro chi groups they're called other things other places but chi is usually in there i don't know the greek alphabet i don't know what it stands for but these girls are like your little mentors for the week and your group of 12 are the girls like or 20 or 40 or whatever that you'll be traveling house to house with and like will have matching schedules with. The amount, this is the other thing the documentary doesn't go into. What is the prep work like for this? How does this happen? How do they assign the groups? Who gets put together? Is it a completely randomized system? Are there, is there fights within the sororities? Because they know who's coming to rush and they know who they want. Do they put, do they spread out the top candidates through different groups so that there's always enough, like, potential new members to match with their highest ranking current active members? Like, fascinating. So these girls walk in, they they get the door songs sung to them before they walk in. If you haven't seen the door songs, they're the things that people always use to say like sororities or cults. And here's the thing, I'm not going to disagree with a lot of the culty vibes of sororities. It's kind of why I'm interested in them. 
I'm fascinated by high control groups and I think sororities are a perfect example of one that goes underestimated because we're like, oh, it's just women. So first two days, you get a door sung song to you. You walk in, you talk, you get spoken to by three to four girls in a extremely carefully choreographed moment that is supposed to feel natural. So what they'll do, and this is where I get into like, this is the shit the documentary does not go into that it absolutely needed to. And because it didn't, I actually like don't consider it like a legitimate source of information on this. So the way that um, rushing works is like you have already submitted at that point your rush packet. So you have submitted your resume, your headshots, your letters of recommendation from alumni in the sorority that you've like met and had tea with so that you can convince them that you're a really good person so that they'll write you a really nice recommendation letter. And these sororities have already put you in rank order of like who's the most desirable. They've already stocked media, social media accounts. They know who's cool. They know who's not. They know who they want. They know who they don't. They rank the girls coming in and then they rank their active members. So it's like, you know, your number one draft pick is going to be talked to by your top four actives because you're trying to recruit them. Recruitment, like the way that this movie talks about Rush is all on the side of the freshmen who are going through it. But recruitment is actually the most important thing that sororities do all year because it's how they continue to make money. And their alumni are looking extremely specifically at like, did you pick a good group of girls who will continue to increase and uphold our reputation on campus? Because it matters to these alumni that they're still part of the cool sorority, which is something we don't talk about in the documentary either. And like just the the idea like this this codifying and ranking of women and girls, they're girls, they're not women, they're 18, um, is so insidious and it's so terrible. And it's really what the girls in the documentary are speaking about when they're saying, like, I'm hoping to be accepted, I'm hoping to find my forever sisters. And it I think what it is is it's like Rush is kind of treated as this gauntlet of like, well, if you get through this, you are accepted. We have said that you are one of us and you no longer have to try to make friends and everything is just gonna be great. And once you get that stamp of approval, you're done. You never have to get it again. It's permanent ink. Don't worry about it. And that's just like not true, not how it works. And so I think that recruitment is particularly fascinating when you start to see it from the other side. And like the girls who made vlogs about it, because that's how I got into this is like YouTube rabbit holes years and years and years ago. Um, The girls who become sophomores and then start blogging, vlogging about work week and all of the prep that they do and how carefully choreographed everything is. I think it really breaks their illusion of what their experience the year before had been because like imagine if you're like you're 18 you walk into this house these like this these two girls come up to you and you're having such a lovely conversation and you know you're kind of behind this pillar and like yeah like you can't you don't have like a good view of like this like beautiful room you're in but like who really cares like you're being talked to and they seem to be really engaged with you and then the next year you're standing there and you're being told that like that's actually the loser spot to have conversations. And maybe you're not in those houses because you didn't get in those houses. So you were in the loser spot having those conversations. But like, I just, I can't imagine how that must feel for like the 19 year old who like was really excited about her sorority last year and then has this curtain pulled back and is like, wait, this was all a setup. This was all orchestrated. You just wanted my $8,300, which they say sorority average dues are $8,300. That seems low to me, especially at Bama. And especially for like, I'm sure that there are some, there are some houses that are more expensive than others. That's just a thing. It's why some have a reputation for being all rich kids because only the rich girls can afford those sororities. Um, 
So you meet all the houses and then (laughs) you go and you rank your 12. You put them in rank order and then the houses rank you. So they give like, we want, you know, I I don't know how many girls come back after the first two days, but it's like they'll list out like the 1500 girls who made the cut to come back to their house. And then a system goes through. I don't know how this used to be done back in the day. And actually, like, that's what I want a documentary on is the girls who have to, like, sit in the basement and, like, tally up all the points for everybody all week and, like, how um, they must lose their minds doing that. But now it's a computer system. So you go into a computer and you, like, click your things and then you submit it. And then, like, an algorithm matches you up and, like, cross-references things. I would be fascinated to find out if people have, like, mistakenly clicked the wrong thing and, like, how often that happens. So... After the first round, which is called, like, um, sisterhood or, like, you know, um, oh, it's called tea. It's called, like, afternoon tea. They used to have tea parties at Bama. I This is all off the dome, by the way. Uh, <laughs> the second round, I believe, is sisterhood round, where or it's philanthropy round. Oh, my God, I'm getting this so wrong. So it goes a tea party, philanthropy round, sisterhood round, pref night. So there's four rounds and it takes like two days each because there's so many fucking sororities and so many schedules. So you will get invited back to however many sororities matched up with your ranking. And basically at that point, if you said you liked all 12 of them and all 12 of them said they liked you, you'll get invited back to all 12 houses for the second round. Most girls do not get all 12 houses back. And at this point, there are girls who get dropped from the process. And getting dropped is something the documentary also does not go into. But basically... With when no houses want you to come back, um, they will drop like you will just be removed from the process via a phone call from your Rokai. Um, and then you basically like after you submit your thing, you spend the next like six hours just waiting to see if you get a phone call. And then if you don't, the Rokais will send out a text to everybody saying all phone calls have been made. So, you know, you're safe. And then the next morning you'll get your schedule to go back and learn about the philanthropy of each house. So all of the houses have a dedicated charity, philanthropy cause, um, work that they do as like a group. They do really have volunteer hours. It's a very important part of the thing. But I just have sincere doubts about how important it is to any of the members within it. But I would be curious. I would be really curious if there are a ton of women who go into PiFi and then go on to be people who really care about like children's literacy advocacy like that would be interesting like are there real world ripple effects for this beyond just like alumni networks helping people get jobs so you go through that round and then it narrows down again and then you go through sisterhood which is about like how the sororities are and they try to be like more intimate at that point because it's a lot fewer girls and like at this point I think you're down, you like the houses that you get invited back to, like, even if you match, you stop being invited back to so many because the whole point of the process is like it stop, or it starts being like you rank your top 12, but only your top six count. And then the rest are the same rank or like you only the top three are actually considered in rank order. And then the rest of them are just like, yeah, whatever. And the so like if you're if your top three drop you, but you have five more houses listed and those five invite you back, but your top three don't, you'll get all five of yours back. So all week girls are finding out which sororities like them, don't like them. Um, A lot of girls are being dropped by the houses that are the only ones they're interested in and will drop out of the process at that point. But they're encouraged not to because you're supposed to go through the whole thing because it's about finding a mutual selection. And this is like one of the things that they say all the time of like, this is how you find your home is like, we're narrowing you down and you're narrowing us down. So like, we'll meet with the perfect thing in the middle. And there's a lot of girls who say like, oh, I got dropped by the house I thought I wanted. And then I went to pref night and I cried. And so I ended up joining this one. And now I'm really happy here. 
I think that that's very true. How can you know? You just are going off of rumors and reputation and like not a lived experience at that point. So I'm sure that there are plenty of people who find sororities that they didn't think that they would enjoy and have a great time in the four years there. I don't think that everybody who joins a sorority is going to have a bad experience. I think if that was true, nobody would join. Um, but I think that the what what we consider a bad experience is often kind of like glossed over as to the actual harm and impact it can have. So after sisterhood round, you narrow down to two sororities and you go to these like ceremonies. It's called preference night. And they kind of like try to woo you one last time. A lot of girls start sobbing and they'll say like, this is my home. And like, there are certain things you're not allowed to like talk about throughout the week. You're not allowed to say like, well, you're my number one choice and things like that. But by pref night, it's kind of more understood that, like, you can basically say, like, this is where I want to be. And then, like, you'll see if they respond. But if you're at pref night and you rank them number one, it's, like, pretty fucking likely that you'll get that sorority. Um, It's very, very rare for girls to be dropped after that round unless they do something egregious. Um, In the documentary, they talk about, like, things you can and can't mention at party, like, at the things. Like, you don't talk about parties. Don't talk about boys. Don't talk about money. Don't talk about Biden. Um, There's, like, the five Bs. It's very... That was the most interesting part of the documentary. Then at Bama, the next day, they all go to the Brian Denny Stadium because Bama has a humongous football program, which is a huge part of Bama's culture. And um, all of the girls get lined up and they go to their seats and on their seat is their bid card and they sit there and they are not allowed to open their bid card. It's a whole thing. If you open it before, it can be revoked. Big fucking deal. So they all open it at once and they start screaming and crying. And I'm sure that there are girls who are disappointed who mask right away. And then um, they run from Brian Denny Stadium down Sorority Road to their home. They like run home. It's like a it's literally like a tradition. Parents will come the whole school, like a lot of like the school will come and like watch these girls like run to their new houses. Um, and then all of the active members and a lot of alumni are at the house with like big letters and sweatshirts for everybody and like a big bag of uh, like just stuff um, to give them. And then they all take pictures and they have a pledge class and all the girls get online and say, oh, my God, love our new pledge class. Most incredible crop of girls ever. And then they whisk them off for like a 48 hour um, retreat night or like just something they they always throw like a party right after for the new members to be like bond with your pledge class and like you get a bid day big so it's like a girl who's in the sorority who's like going to be your mentor for the day and like a lot of times those girls will become their actual bigs and stuff like that so that is the system that they go through and then they go through pledging documentary doesn't talk about pledging no one really talks about pledging it's the thing i'm most interested in as far as like what are the systems what are the routines what are the rituals uh, because pledging is where most of the hazing happens and again hazing something this documentary does not touch on and i don't know how you have a documentary about sororities especially in alabama where hazing is a big fucking issue Um, And continues to be, despite all of the claims that it's not anymore. Um, I don't know how you have a documentary about this without talking about hazing, allegations of hazing, how intense it gets, what happens, survivor stories, the psychology of it. Because, like, the thing about sororities and fraternities is, like, they are run by children. Like, they're not children. I know we infantilize. But, like, the people who are mostly running these are not the kids. The kids are just the proxies for the alumni and the the parents and the, the like the women who live in the houses with the girls who are, you know, the house moms and all of this stuff. 
um, these kids are very much proxies for their wishes, their demands, their hopes for society. And in return for carrying out their like bidding within this weird system, the kids get like parties. They get to go and like have fun. But hazing is such a psychologically interesting thing to me because it's so clear that it's like done as a way to cement like there's two sides of it. Like you are first tortured your freshman year, which bonds you with your pledge class and you go through humiliating rituals and whatever in order to like make you not want to leave because what if they share what happened and whatever. Mutually assured destruction. And then your sophomore year, oftentimes the sophomores are forced to take part in perpetuating the hazing the most. And it's to make them criminal. Um, It's criminal, a lot of the stuff that they're doing to these girls. And if it's not, it should be because it's like very much like forced binge drinking. Um, There's a lot of like drug and alcohol use. There's a lot of body shaming stuff. There's a lot of there was sleep deprivation. Like when the charges come out about like what these houses are actually doing, like it is genuine torture. Um, There was a case where girls were made to stay up for like a week straight with sleep deprivation. Like they would not let them go to sleep. They were doing stuff like playing music really, really loud. They were being locked in rooms with like all the lights on. Um, And then they would have to like go do things. And if they, and like they were not allowed to eat, they had to step on a scale before they ate. Like there's stuff that's just like, oh, I don't know that you could come back from that. And like your brain is still pretty squishy at that age. Like, I don't know if you were 18 and that happened to you, if you wouldn't just go into like full flight or flight trauma mode. Like, um, and then, you know, your next year you're being forced to do it to other girls so that like you are complicit in the system and are no longer willing to call it out because if you call it out, they'll just call you out for participating in it. So that was a big thing I thought it missed. Other things I thought it missed, um, integration at Bama, the sororities were not legally integrated until 2013. I think that's fucking crazy that they don't talk about it. Um, They don't really follow any, like there's no comparison of like, oh, this is somebody who's going through the Divine Nine rush versus the Panhellenic rush. There is like, there is a, few different interviews with girls who are in sororities who are mixed race who are black who talk about like they it's it's not I don't know it one of them even said like if I had been more comfortable with my race and identity I might have done the divine nine but they have such history and it really matters to know that history and it's like oh that's so interesting that like because there's more emphasis on the cultural history of it rather than just like what you can get out of it in that mo. It just, it was, that was interesting. I wish they had talked about it more. They don't talk about pledge week. They don't do the sororities by numbers. Like where are the stats girls? How many people rush? How many people drop? How many people make it through pledge? How many people go on to do things? Like we didn't even get like, this is, I just feel like if you watch this documentary and you didn't, you weren't American, Uh, Because I think like a lot of American filmmakers forget that people exist outside of America who might not know about the sorority system. She doesn't even explain Rush. Like truly, it's so boggling to me what she was trying to say with this documentary. It's very clear that basically halfway through, because Bama Rush went viral on TikTok. That's how we ended up here. A few years ago, Gracie O'Connor and a couple other stole, like not stole the format, but copied the format because vlogs are all copies of other vlogs of going through Rush Week, here are my outfits, here are my thoughts, here are my daily updates. And I love a good Rush Week vlog. Fascinating. Love a subculture I'll never be a part of. That's how I got into this. The rabbit holes that happened every like August, September for me for a few years. Very, very interesting. And then TikTok picked it up. And TikTok is 
the final stage of like oversaturated capitalistic anything. So all of the girls who were going through Rush suddenly became these little stars of their outfit of the day posts where they're going like jewelry, normal shoes from the pants store. And they all have these like really deep, cute Southern accents. And I think that that is another big part of it is that like, the southernness of it all is like, oh, this is a culture that I don't understand. And like, I never wanted to go to a big party school. I never wanted to be a part of a big sorority. That was never a driving force in my college decisions. Looking back, I don't really know what the driving force of my college decisions were, but that's okay. It's fine. We got through it. Um, it, it, so like, that was what the fascinating part to me was, was like, look at the subculture of girls who are performing femininity in a very specific rigid way that I don't even think they understand necessarily fully, but look at how well they do and look at how well they do it. And, um, it, it's just interesting. It's interesting to see a different culture. I, you know, so I was watching these girls on YouTube. I watched Gracie O'Connor from her freshman year all the way through her graduation, like just occasionally checking in on her. She went on fucking, um, she was on the cruise um, semester at sea when COVID hit. And so like, that was really fascinating. So I was like, what is happening on this cruise ship during COVID when they were like going around Asia? Like it just fascinating. Um, so I have had a weird tie to this <laughs> for a long time. So when t- it blew up on TikTok, me and my friend who always talked about it would just like, send each other like things back and forth and like it just it was this thing where I was like oh but this isn't like I don't know I feel like everybody's missing what's actually interesting to me about these these girls and like what they're doing what they're upholding how they're upholding it where did they learn these rules from who's telling them you know what I mean and like seeing an 18 year old hold up her David Yerman fucking bangle and not seem to notice or care that she's got like a $20,000 bracelet on it's just like kind of a brain breaking moment sometimes so I would have really liked to see a better stat lineup of like what by numbers like how many girls how much do they spend how much art because the best part of this documentary and I'll get into this in a little bit are the consultants that they interview very fascinated by these women but like the documentary trigger warning the documentary very lightly touches on rape culture and eating disorders and I just hmm I think it is irresponsible the way they handled it. Um, one of the girls casually admits that she's been roofied three times. Like we see three roommates getting ready to go out. And then the next morning it smash cuts to them. And it's like, oh yeah, we got roofied last night. And like the guy who did it got found and he got beat up. But one of the girls had drugs in her system and like she doesn't do drugs. And like we all got roofied. And then she's like, oh, you know, I probably won't be pressing charges. I've been through the whole case before. It's like a really annoying court case. And the documentarian's like, you've been through it before. Like, she's only a sophomore at college at this point. She's like, oh, yeah, but it's really annoying. So I probably won't do it again. And it's like, okay, but is that guy going to face any consequences for the fact that he roofied three? Nope. Okay. Um, And so that was really horrifying. Another one of the subjects went through a sexual assault two weeks before she showed up at college. And so, like, her documentary, like, her interviews are, like, pre that happening and post that happening. And it just felt like the documentary was not interested in asking her of, like, like, she's, like, now I'm here and I'm even more excited and it feels like a clean slate and I was able to get away from it. And it's like, okay, are you aware you're going into one of the most, like, concentrated forms of rape culture that we have in society is frat culture like 
is that, this girl's not like I, I got so concerned. because I was just like, where are the adults in her life? Um, do they know this happened? Do they know that like what she's like entering herself into is an extremely vulnerable thing to enter into, especially as a survivor? Like it just it shocked me how casual they were about it. And a lot of the things the girls said about sexual assault, about rape culture and about eating disorders were extremely casual. And I feel like the documentary was trying to do this thing of like, see how shocking it is that they're being so stark about what they're saying. But when you just present really terrible, like fuck, fucked up thoughts and commentary on people's bodies, on people's like on sexual assault, and then you don't follow it up with an expert talking about it. I think that's irresponsible documentary filmmaking. Like documentaries, like yes, people can tell their own stories, but I think it's actually really exploitative because these are just like, these are very young girls and they clearly don't know what their stories are. That's why they're joining a sorority. That's why they're excited about it because they're hoping. They even say it so plainly, like I need something to identify me because I don't know what my identity is, which is a very normal thing for an 18 year old to feel. And instead of asking them, well, how else have you tried to find that identity? And what do you think like identity is? And what is identity outside of tangible, consumable, labor? Labels. Um, it's instead like, yep, and that's what they'll get. Like, it, it just presents, do- it's, it's really like, it's so weird because I really think this documentarian strug- clearly struggled with self and, and acceptance her entire life. And that makes so much sense because a lot of this documentary is dedicated to this woman comparing Rush and like the idea of being accepted to her struggle of accepting herself and feeling accepted because she had alopecia growing up and still has it today. And here's the thing, I don't want to knock trying to humanize your subjects to yourself. Um, I am not, in general, a big fan of documentarians becoming part of the documentaries themselves. I know that that is certain people's styles. I totally get that. I'm not saying that Werner Herzog is not a good documentarian and he's one of the fucking main stars of Grizzly Man. But like, the way that it comes up is, it, it, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to say this felt low budget, but just like she's not. None of the shots were pretty. Like it was this thing where I was expecting it to be a lot more. I don't know. Like there's so much about sororities and there's so much like high quality production video footage of these girls in like pretty white dresses spinning around on the lawn, like very like easy dystopian messaging of like, oh, but there's something sinister underneath. Like how many times have you seen like, the opening to what it just there was nothing about like and this is how we view sororities in society and like they think they're going to get self-acceptance but are they just getting judged by everybody else around them and is it normal for like a bunch of people online to get really obsessed with what fucking like social group an 18 year old ends up in just because they've seen four videos of her and what she wears and how she presents herself in a one minute clip I don't know but I also think and this is just another I'm now just going um I hate watching people film TikToks. (laughs) Please stop putting it in your fucking documentaries, please. There is nothing. And like, I don't mean, I really am not trying to be cruel to any of these girls. I think they were in extremely vulnerable positions. They're 18 or 19 years old. They um, don't come off well. And I don't think that's like a lot of them don't come off well. And I don't think that's any fault of their own. I think that's actually the fault of the documentarian who has no idea how to capture them. And it just like, Watching a girl who's clearly struggling with self-identity and like clearly just like unsure of like herself and her path in life. And maybe like that shyness is really coming out because she's on camera and she can't shake that. But like at one point, it's just like you're watching her film this TikTok and it's like, 
oh, I don't think the kids know how to express themselves except through capturing themselves through like abstract media and memes. And it's bad. It's really bad. They're like dead. Like there's so many shots of these girls where it just feels like they are dead behind the eyes and performing for the camera. And it, but like they're on camera performing for their little camera that they're used to performing for. And it's just like, oh my God. Like it made me feel so uh, like hope like distraught in a way I think because I was just like oh baby girls I don't think I don't think any of you are happy and I don't think it's possible to be happy when this is what we've given you as far as like options for expressing yourself and your emotions and how you connect with your peers um so as my friend once said I don't want to say I'm worried about the youth of America but I'm a little worried about the youth of America watching people film TikToks to me feels like a harbinger of doom it is so I've I don't know that even like even when you watch like the girls who do incredibly well at TikTok like the Addison Rays. It's not enjoyable to watch her film on TikTok because she's standing in one place and like looking and smiling at her phone. It's really, it's goofy as hell. I think that cringe culture has really upped because we now do things that are emphatically much more cringy than they used to be. And I think the cringe culture is like weird and dissociative and like a way of like shaming people and stuff a lot of times. But I also think that it's like, oh no, I think it's like a very natural response to be like, that's embarrassing is because it is actually embarrassing and we've just like eroded the social norms to the point that it's not. Um... I would have liked to hear them talk about the imagined versus actual benefits of joining a sorority. What does the sorority say that you're getting out of it? And what are you actually getting out of it? There just, I really feel like it should have been much more focused on the alumni and a lot less on the girls going through rush because I actually don't think that their story, it's not that their stories weren't unique and individual to them, but it was just like, but you don't actually know what you're getting out of this. You just, you have a lot of like hopes and what you think you're going to get out of this. And then we never contrast that with like, and this is what the reality is. Like, I would have wanted to follow somebody who dropped during pledge week, who dropped after sophomore year or senior year, even who was like, sororities aren't worth it. It's just a racket to try to get your money. Would have been really interested to hear from some of those girls. And then I would have been really interested to hear from like a very active alumni, especially because Bama is very famous for their alumni chapters being like a determining factor in who actually gets into the sorority or not, which is wild to think of these women in their hometowns being like, oh, this girl actually doesn't have a good reputation. You shouldn't let her in just because like their daughter who's a legacy has an issue. And like, we didn't even talk about legacy admissions to sororities or like going to the same school your mom did just so you can be in the same sorority she was. And if the chapters like cross over and like, these are national chapters. They don't even get into like the national versus local and the charters. At one point, the girls are like, yeah, I don't know why we can't have alcohol in the sorority houses. And I'm like, because it's in your fucking charter, because your insurance is tied to that fact. Like they terrify these girls with like, if you bring alcohol into this house and we have a house fire and they find alcohol, our insurance won't cover it because like they're not insured to have alcohol in the house because it's a charter. And, like, the charter is passed down from the national chapter. And, like, charters have, like, all kinds of crazy rules in them. Because, again, these have been around for a really fucking long time. And so it's, like, in the 50s when a lot of the sororities pivoted hard towards ring before senior spring vibes, um, they wouldn't allow the girls to light their own cigarettes. It was, like, uncouth. And so you could have a cigarette in your mouth, but you had to have a boy light it. And I find that kind of shit fascinating. Would have been really interested in the acceptance rates versus drop rates. Like how many people sign up to pledge? How many people drop out after pledging? How many people drop out after a year, two years, two years? Um, like what are the alumni machines and how do they work? And like what are the networking opportunities that they tell you? And do you really get them? And is your reputation, how does that develop? And like 
they kind of talk about like the chapter meetings every week and like standards and being brought in front of the standards boards and how arbitrary a lot of the rules are. But like they don't talk about like the girls who are kind of like forced out of the sorority via like bullying from their, uh, you know what I mean? And like they're paying for it. It's just very interesting. I also, I'm like, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but like it's the pipeline of it all. Like it's this thing of like these girls, their freshman year of high school decide this is where they want to go. And then they figure out exactly what they have to do. And then they live their life according to this one goal. But it's like a goal entirely dependent on other people's opinions of you. So how does that create deep insecurities of self because until those people accept you can you accept yourself because this is the type of girl you wanted to be and being this type of girl means dressing in these brands and wearing this stuff and knowing about this kind of pop culture and not that kind of pop culture and having something that you're deeply passionate about that's not too goofy or silly that you can always like bring up and having small talk skills and like these are very interesting social higher codified social hierarchies that I'm fascinated by and I'm fascinated by the women who put themselves in that track especially at a very young age and how that kind of like gets taught to them and how it's solidified when I watched the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders making the team uh docu-series <laughs> docu-series reality show not a documentary um they would talk about like being five years old and being like, I want to grow up and be a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. How is that already in your brain? Like when the girls from Boys Next Door or Girls Next Door <laughs> used to talk about finding their dad's Playboys at like five and six and like looking at the girls in the magazine and being like, wow, they're so pretty. Like how does that affect you for the rest of your life? How does that show up? And like in what ways, what decisions do you make? And now that all of the rules are so known, because a lot of this stuff used to be, if you know, you know, and if you don't, you don't. And like tough shit, there's no way you can find out. And now it's all on the internet. Like the fact that I can find sorority rituals that had really been kept secret for hundreds of years, pretty fucking easily these days. It's pretty shocking. Like it's not because it's silly and goofy, but like, I don't know. I can't find out a lot about the Masons still. And they've been around for 300. Like it just, um, how we track kids and how kids track themselves. I think like how people encourage certain things. And also I think that with sororities, like there's a lot of defensiveness I have about like not every girl who joins a sorority is doing it for the same reasons or paying for friends. And like, I think there's a lot of dismissiveness of women. And so there tends to just be a lot of like, well, it's stupid and it's frivolous and it's arbitrary and blah, 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 blah. But like when you've been told your entire life, like, oh, you're so pretty and that's all you've ever gotten. And then like there's this chance to join this other group of girls who also seems to have been put into this like, oh, you're very pretty, but you're not very bright kind of corner. Because like it, we do that to pretty girls. Um, we do that to especially to pretty girls. Like I think every girl gets told they're worthless in some way or another. There's just some that are more socially acceptable to fight against and some that we expect you to kind of shut up and take and like not to be like hot girls have problems too, but they do. And so like it makes sense that when they find a group of girls who are identified as being like them and not being taken seriously for their looks or like also knowing that like a pinnacle of human existence is being like the hot girl on campus because we, I don't know, mostly have dreams about youth and beauty and not much else, which is cool, super cool. Um, the meritocracy is just amazing. Um I can't imagine the, you know what I mean? Like if you are a hot, if it's just, I don't know. I've never been, I was never a hot teen. So I don't know what that feels like. But like, if you're, if you're being told like, this is what you're good for and this makes sense for you. And then you get there and it's all these girls who like actually do understand the problems that you've had and don't dismiss your problems as trivial because like, what do you have to complain about? You're pretty. 
that would be really heady. I can see that absolutely being a thing of like, well, these girls will get me. And also then I'll have other hot friends and I, we can go and be hot together. Um, because I think that that's an important part of, uh, especially teenage friendship that we don't talk about a lot, but like the amount of people that just bond with other people. Cause they're like, oh, well we're like able to show up arm in arm and like get what we want. Anyway. Um, they also don't talk to any girls that are fully dropped. So, um, the one thing that I did find interesting about this documentary, literally the one thing is the rush consultants. And these are women who have been in sororities who get hired by these girls to train them on how to make sure they get in. So they hold fake conversations with them. They work with them on like elocution and like how to do small talk. They take their headshots for them. They write their resume. They'll connect them with alumni. Like it really is like a full service, but I am just so curious, like how much does it cost and what are their acceptance rates? Like how much of their girls go on to be accepted by the sorority that they want to be accepted by? Um, They don't get into any of that, but I would be very, very curious. And I think it's interesting that like this, this not so secret thing has now been codified so much that there are women who have made a consultancy business out of consulting potential new members. And like, how much does that cost? At what point one of the girls goes shopping with them and I'm like, are they paying for those dresses or is she? Um, And they don't get into that. Okay. I just, I'm always fascinated by that kind of industry and how it pops up and how these girls find, like, do they advertise their, Things are there alumni that are like, oh, you should work with this one. Like, what is the referral network of a woman whose job I imagine is mostly concentrated, like heavily concentrated into like one month per year, maybe two, because there's different schools that rush like Bama rushes right away. So you enter the school year in a sorority versus I think Ole Miss might do it even in January. And so there are girls who if like this is the shit that I'm I'm like, this is why it's a missed opportunity. There are girls who will get dropped at Bama and transfer to another school so that they can hit like another SEC school so that they can try and get into the recruitment process that they that those schools hold in January. That's fascinating to me. Not that this hasn't been entirely critiqued so far, but let's get in to a little bit more specific of what I didn't like about this documentary. Uh, Lack of history and information. It feels like they were depending on access to get their information. And when they didn't have access, suddenly the documentary had to pivot and become being about how it itself is now a target of the machine. The machine is like a very fascinating part of the documentary. Maybe that's the other thing I'll give it. Um, In that there is like a secret society of like um, representatives from the top houses and those people go into a meeting room and are told how to vote in student elections and decide things. And they go back to their house and they force um, everybody in the house to vote a certain way. And you have to send in your voting receipts, which is not something you're actually allowed to send. And private voting is very important. And I just feel like mentioning all of the rights that I feel like are very important because we might not have them in a few years, apparently. And so like private voting, very important. Um, (laughs) And so when I feel like they they could, they like, she thought she was going to get inside these fucking houses. And I'm like, are you crazy? Anyway, uh, <laughs> so they thought, I think, that they were going to get a lot more access than they did. And I think something that, I don't know how to say this. I don't want this to come off as a critique of the girls. It is a critique of the filmmakers. 
it's very clear to me that the girls that they were able to convince to sign up for this were a specific type of girl because the girls who are the number one draft picks know better than to sign up for a documentary about the rush process. Rush, sororities, secret societies, they're secret for a reason. These are secret societies. They are based on like arbitrary traditions and rules. They like their secrecy. It keeps them powerful. There was no fucking way they were going to get cameras in those houses. Like, there, the rumor that started on TikTok is that they were miking girls up and a girl even got kicked out of recruitment because they thought that a hair tie on the back of her shirt was a wire, which sucks. That sucks for that girl. It's like on NYC Prep, <laughs> they couldn't actually... There was like very few kids who were like true elite blue blood bullshit type because those kids wouldn't go on reality TV. You know what I mean? It's like PC was on there and he was from a very rich, very wealthy family and he was 18. So I think he was actually able to sign the release form himself. And so they never went to his house. You never saw any member of his family. The only adult you saw him interact with was a therapist that Bravo hired. Like it, it, so I think that that's happening a little bit. So I just feel like she didn't Cap- she didn't get to capture any of the girls that I would have been most interested in hearing like the process f- about from because they're the most deeply entrenched and therefore know not to sign up for something like this. You know what I mean? Like it's not I'm not saying that they got the B team or anything like that. I'm not trying to imply that. It's just like they're the diversity of experience was interesting, but it also gave a very incomplete picture for who the majority of these girls are going through this process. Like Two of the girls that they got in the documentary who do end up completing the process, who are freshmen, one of them's from Illinois and one of them's from California. Like, that's what I mean. Like, they, they're they very much not in the ecosystem that most of the girls at Bama are. And none of them are legacy. And so they talk about, like, well, I'm hiring a Rush consultant because I don't have anybody to tell me, like, what to do or how to do it. But I'm also like, are you? your parents are hiring these rush consultants. Like I would like to see an interview with their parents talking about like, yeah, we decided to fork over $5,000 for this. Or like, how much are these rush consultants? I really need to know. Um, Even though we know we're also going to be forking over at least another 10 K for the dues. And that's not even including things like the gifting suites that they have to set up for their fucking like littles and stuff in year two. Like I want to know how much girls spend on average in a sorority because they have to buy like coolers for guys to ask them out to date parties and stuff. I know how to paint a cooler. Thanks to total sorority move.com listicles. Um, but they pivoted the documentary. And so like the second half of the documentary is about the fact that they're making a documentary and that they've been found out and that there's threats to the documentarians lives and the machine. And like, they're using these TikTok comments. And like, the thing is, I'm sure some of those TikTok comments did come from kids who are part of the machine, blah, blah, blah. But I'm sure it's some, a lot of those TikTok comments just came from people fucking around on the internet. And so it's like, this isn't useful to me. I don't know. This doesn't feel like journalism. And then she's being threatened and they, they, Bama came out with t-shirts to say, fuck your documentary. Like I'm impressed at how quickly all of that happened more so than the fact that it did. You know what I mean? And suddenly it's like, oh, now we're being threatened and our lives are being threatened. And like, that is interesting. The fact that like, these sororities and fraternities are so dedicated to secrecy that they are willing to inflict physical harm on people. Very fascinating. The documentary doesn't even really lean into that because it just becomes about this woman and her reaction to it. And it's like, I don't know, like her reaction to it is just kind of like, I didn't mean for this to happen. And I'm like, what did you think was going to happen? Did you even watch the YouTube videos the girls made and how scared they are to say anything bad about their experience? And like, they refuse to talk about certain houses. They won't name their houses. It's bad. It's like considered like, quote unquote, like bad luck to say what house you want before you get it. 
But in the YouTube, it's like, that's because they can't um, then get into a different one and have that reflect poorly on, like, them. You know what I mean? It's all self-protection stuff. So I was really annoyed by the lack of information. I feel like they were hoping to get it live from the subjects themselves. And when they couldn't, they should have just pivoted and done a lot more history and research because I don't know what this was meant to tell me. Or how it was... um, how the documentary wanted me to feel about any of it besides like anger and ambivalence. Um, and this is something that like I am interested about and it's not even like, here's the thing. I think that a lot of my critiques can often come off as like, well, I know more and I would have done a better job. And that's really not what it is. I love to watch a documentary about something that I know a lot about because I'm always hoping to learn new information. And so it's really frustrating to me when I can just see all of the missed opportunities. And with this documentary, it was literally like, wait, 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 you had a nugget. You had a nugget. You didn't follow it. Oh, you followed the most boring thread possible. Like it just, I don't know. And I feel like a lot of it was very like faux meaningful like they would put this like heavy music behind these girls talking in a way that I was like I don't think that this is doing what you think it's doing and then they would kind of present a lot of their like more tragic stuff very starkly so they would talk about like parental death or sexual assault or just like whatever in these ways that I was like oh I think that you're trying to create meaning through being so blunt about it and that's not working for me either um yeah, the girls who send up just very much not under Sanctum girls. They're trying to go for sympathetic portrayal, but it's all kind of lost because they're just going through these major things and we're not anchored in any of them. And it's it's hard. Like, I do feel for them. I was really happy when a few of the girls decided that they didn't actually want to rush and, like, stopped the rush process. I thought that that was, like, very admirable and interesting to watch. But in general, I just – I don't think the subjects – lined up with what the documentary was trying to do like it really did it felt like the documentary was like yep and once they rush they'll be they'll have self-acceptance and it's like babe that's not how that works so like the question of self-acceptance and self-worth is so interesting to me it's literally all I write about on my Substack, and that's why this movie pissed me off because it presented it as like yep and there is this option for you and it's like that's not how that works can we talk about how most girls who enter sororities get eating disorders can we talk about that can we be honest about that can we be honest about how groups of women who are pressured to look a certain way and can pressure other girls to join them and homogenize and look a certain way and how like eds are mostly fueled by giving tips to each other and they talk a little bit about like the what you're what you're entitled to when you're a member of an elite sorority on campus um and it's like test banks and it's like they don't talk about what the test banks are they don't talk about the tutoring they don't talk about it they don't talk about the teachers who are totally willing to help out certain like people and not others and like how they're still employed but it just ah um also like with bama i'm always fascinated because there's like multiple subcultures happening so like fraternity and greek life huge part of campus culture and i would have loved for them to focus on like just how small of a percent of the population is actually in greek life versus how much of an impact greek life has on campus and how much money gets allocated to greek life and all of these mansions that are on campus and how the girls who get to live there are like it's a lottery and like how that works and who wants to live in the sorority houses versus who doesn't because i would be curious to hear from the girls who are like never fucking wanted that not a part of my experience just here for like I think you could have gotten some girls who were just like recently graduated didn't really care about being alumni who were like yeah I got some parties out of it I had a good time it was it was fucking dope like I don't know what you want me to say about it and you could have gotten a lot of girls who were like it was the worst four years of my life I wish I had never done it and that's the documentary I want um the feminism was another part that I was just like where are we going with this because they talked about like the original inception of sororities being like co-educational groups of friends codifying their beliefs great wonderful really fucking interesting 
And then how sororities grew because those women actually were successful. And so their daughters and other people kept coming to college. And so the numbers on campus of women got bigger. And so the sororities got bigger. And rush is a term that comes from the fact that they were rushing to gather recruits. So they would go meet the girl. Like, we now have the reason that Rush is so um, hardcore and like you're not allowed to speak to the PNMs before they join your sorority. And there's like all these really, really, really rigid rules is because of something called dirty rushing that used to happen. And when you hear about what Rush used to actually look like, it makes a lot of sense that they put a bunch of rules in place because it was like the haves and the have nots flared up again. And so the girls who could afford to truck all of their sorority members down to the train stations so that they could meet the new recruits and like meet the new girls coming to Bama. And also just like, how did Bama earn this reputation? What, were there a lot of women getting married? Were they getting married to high power? Like, was marriage part of what made the sorority so interesting to these women? Or was it the careers for a while? And how did it turn into the ring before senior spring thing? And like, what is the culture at Bama around dating? And are they matching up with, are they finding husbands? Is that still a focus of these girls? Because they kind of talk about the 50s like a little bit, but like they don't talk about like, when did Rush get turned into this? Like, what? And this is a documentary about Rush. I'm not going to learn it here. And the fuck am I going to learn it? Um, How did it become this? How did the Panhellenic Council get together? How much money goes into this? How much money is just spent on the fucking T-shirts that they have to get for all of these girls? And And what sizes are they ordering? And do the girls submit their sizes or do they just kind of guess? And do some girls have to have like cute, fun, oversized T-shirts? And are some girls, because maybe a fat girl did decide to rush. And if she did, I'm sure she put a YouTube video up called My Experience Rushing a Sorority as a Fat Girl at Bama. And then a bunch of people click on it because I've watched a lot of those videos. Basically, every girl who's fat in a sorority, I think, has made a video of I was fat in a sorority. Here's my story. Because everybody's like, you've probably got some. And they're all pretty mixed bags. I think if you go to like smaller schools, I think sometimes it doesn't matter. I'm not saying that fat phobia is like eradicated at smaller schools versus larger schools. I think that actually like sometimes it is just about your personality and how you hold yourself and like your confidence level and all of that. And sometimes fat phobia is just so deeply entrenched that there's like absolutely no way you're getting into a top tier sorority if you're a fat girl and they'll just tell you that to your fucking face. And like, that's really interesting. And I wish once again, documentary talked about any of this instead of just being like, yeah, this girl counts how many chips goes in her bowl. Isn't that wacky? Like, no, that's an ED. That's an ED. <laughs> like, oh, no. If it's not full-blown Anna, it's ortho. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just think that the feminism of it all, lacking. Um, just the angle, the feminist angle, the questions of whether or not this is, like, what the values of modern womanhood should be, what you get out of it, if it is just a social club, if it is just about the parties, if it is just about the access and having friends, and, like, are you somebody who feels like you can't get that access without being in these sororities, or are you somebody who feels like you lead the pack, and, like, um, yeah, I don't know, we don't have these critiques of frats, though. Um, the underexplored themes of like, this will give me identity is mentioned a lot. Like one girl wears a bracelet that says I am enough on it. Like they talk a lot about self-acceptance, identity, trauma. And I'm like, oh, right. Because like, well, I'm, I got fucked up by being on TikTok for a year with my 30 year old brain. I can't imagine the soft, squishy 16 year old brains and how bad it was for them. Um, I don't think that the movie ever cares to answer whether or not something else giving you identity, like being your entire identity is necessarily a positive or negative thing. (laughs) I just think the documentary is kind of like, yep, and then they will. And it's like, no, nah, I don't know. I don't know that that happens. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that that's how that works. 
Um, and then the EDs that they already have that they admit casually to having the body dysmorphia that these girls have. And like the documentary at no point talks about like EDs are likely to get significantly worse when you're in these kind of environments. Like there are certain places that are just known for being breeding grounds of eating disorders. I would say sororities are probably top three right up there with boarding schools and backstage at fashion week. Like I can't think of... Anyway, um, ED culture is something that I just think we don't talk about enough, and it's because we don't care about it because we want everybody to be thin because fat phobia is just so deeply entrenched people don't even realize that they have it. And then when they do, they're like, oh, no, it's fine because it's about health. And it's like, it's not about health. And we know that. Um, and I don't know. I've been just really, really pissed off by all the Ozempic ads and knockoff Ozempic ads I've been seeing on the subway recently because, like, I don't know. Uh, a lot of people have fucking eating disorders and we don't seem to care about triggering them ever at all. And I think it's because generally it's just culturally accepted that if you're thinner, you're better. The better you, the thinner you are, the better you'll be, um, the more healthy you'll be, which is antithetical to a lot of information that we now have, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> just, I don't know. It's hard for me to talk about as a fat person without sounding defensive. Even when I was talking about like the fat girls joining sororities, it's just like, this is a thing that I, I never had access to, nor did I want access to. But, and I know that because I was friends with people who did have access to it and also patently rejected it because, and the reason that we're friends is because we have similar values and those don't align with them. You know what I mean? Like, I know that it's not just because I wouldn't want to be part of it anyway. I'm going to quit so you can't fire me kind of vibes, but I just feel like I need to say it because sometimes when I talk about eating disorders, I think people are like, oh, well, that's because you are. Th-. And it's just like, no, it's because I had one. And it's because like people said fucked up shit to me about having one because they were like, oh, well, like it's, you know, keep going um, because we would rather people be dead than fat. Like it just anyway, um, there's a power hungriness to. <laughs> it's funny to use hunger after what I just ranted about. There is I think that something that goes unacknowledged is like the because they'll say I'll be accepted. And it's like because you'll have access to people who are already accepted. And so you don't have to like create your own acceptance narrative. You can just fulfill a role that you feel like you were like, you know, maybe born to fill and born to play. And I think that with the machine, which is a secret society on Alabama's campus. I can't remember if I mentioned that in this episode or not, or if it was in the other recording. So sorry if I am repeating myself. With the machine, what I find most interesting is like, it doesn't just affect student politics. It's actually a huge effect on um, later Alabama, like greater state politics and like other things like that. So I just... um, I don't th- I think there's an interesting thing about like the women who are attracted to power and how that manifests in their in their choices that they make at 18 and being like they talk a little bit about like, oh, I don't know where the sorority ranks come from. And it's like they come from those fraternities who decide who has the hottest girls and who wants to be this. And like one of the most interesting parts of the documentary is they talk from a girl who's from like a quote unquote bottom tier sorority. And she's like, we've done all that we can do, but like we're just not going to get the reputation for 20, 30 years, even if we have changed. It's just not how it works. And it's like, right, because in a hierarchical system, there has to be somebody at the bottom. And what does it feel like to be one of the girls like there are girls every single year who aren't excited about the houses that they get their bid to because they were hoping for a cooler house or a higher ranking house. And a lot of like I'm so curious, like, are the numbers in those sororities like a lot lower? Do girls drop more often? There's a lot of girls who will say like, oh, yeah, like, you know, everybody told me like, oh, give it a shot. And I gave it a shot. And it it was it 
it wasn't the house for me. And it's like, right, but was it not the house for you because you couldn't get over the fact that you thought the girls were losers? Like, there's so much with, like, Rush where they tell the girls, even if you're not interested in being in a house, don't be rude because that will get around and that will, like, harm your reputation in the houses that you're trying to get into. Like, you have to still act interested in the houses, even if you're not interested in them, because it will get around that you're being, like, rude in the process. And the Panhellenic, like protection is very important to them during rush because they really have to like make sure that all of their potential people see chapters as beneficial because those chapters still need recruits to give them $10,000 a year to be part of the chapter. Otherwise the chapter can't exist because these are national syndicated money-making machines. Like some of the most interesting shit that came out in Bama Rush was actually the girls who were like, oh, yeah, you know, I used to be in a sorority. I was actually the treasury secretary. I used to walk around with like a cool mill in my backpack all the time from all the checks that I had. And like, I don't know why people were trusting me with so much money. And I think that it is that thing of like, I do think you can gain a lot of like skills and get a lot of alumni network access through these things. I'm not saying that there aren't benefits to them, but like, what are the benefits? Like, what are they? Can you list them out for me, documentary? Um, I think that the documentarian is going to be rightly criticized for how she included herself in it. And even just like at the end with one of the girls, they're like in the water and they're talking and she's like, oh, or, you know, like right now we're like making a memory. And the girl's like, yeah, core memory. And I'm just like, I don't know. This doesn't feel great um it's not that there shouldn't be like friendships and bonding between intergenerational people but it just it felt very i don't the vibe i got from the documentarian was the same vibe i got from some of my teachers back in high school when they were nice to the cool kids because they wanted to be seen as a cool kid by the cool kids because they had a wound that never healed you know what i mean and i don't mean to put that on her because i'm sure that like self-acceptance as when you have something that for, that visibly forces you to stand out. I can totally understand the trauma that comes with that. I can absolutely understand like the unintentional consequences of not accepting yourself and accepting like radical acceptance and what that looks like. And she does for the first time in like 20 years, put a wig back on her head at one point because she's been identified as a documentarian. She's in Tuscaloosa. She's worried for her safety. She's been identified as a bald woman. There aren't that many bald women in Tuscaloosa. She puts on a wig, but it's this moment where I'm like, I don't know that this should have been about you. I don't know. It just, it never connected. It, it was regardless of her intention. I don't think it was executed properly. That's how I'll put it. Um, so those are my thoughts on Bama Rush, but also like, I don't know, they didn't go into like, I would have really liked to see an entire documentary series on Alabama culture because I'm actually really interested in like the football players. Do the football players join fraternities? Do they have that time? Is that like what big man on campus is? Because like the D1 athletes at these schools are like famous, but are they just football players? Like the cheerleaders there, I, um, YouTube recommendations are a magical thing. So I used to get recommended this girl who was um, elite cheerleading to Alabama. And like college cheerleading is very different from elite all-star cheerleading in terms of like the look and aesthetic of it and stuff. But like the cheerleading teams actually have some of the most intense hazing allegations against them. And I would be really curious if like they treat that as their own sorority or if they're part of sororities. Because I think that for a lot of them, they just don't have time to do both. Um, so I would have been really interested in that. I think overall it was just a waste of a documentary, which is a really big bummer because the subject is clearly very like deep 
interesting. There's a lot of intersections of American culture, of like social justice in terms of like what we can see just in the history of America, but from the fact that we created segregated um, chapters and those are still pretty fucking segregated today. And the fact that Alabama was one of the last ones to officially integrate in 2013, it was 10 years ago. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like it. One of the girls at one point says, like, it just doesn't feel great to know that, like, a lot of my sorority sisters, like, wouldn't have felt great about being my friend. And it's like, yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. Um, so I think that there were small moments where I was like, that is interesting. That is a good nugget. And it just was it wasn't couched in anything real. They didn't give you enough background or context. I think if you're interested in learning about the actual culture and subculture of it. Gracie O'Connor's videos are right there for you. You can watch her go through the whole rush process and then live four years of college. You don't need to watch every single one of them. A lot of it is just like, watch me go get coffee, get a package, go to Target. Because that's what vlogging is. Because vlogs are meant to be put on in the background and barely paid attention to. They're vibes more than anything. Um, Also, the religious conversation through Alabama. Um... So that was that was a little interesting, but I also didn't feel like they went into like how being part of something like that institutionalized might encourage you to join other really rigid ruled institutions. So um, overall, one out of 10, really fuck like F like I wouldn't recommend watching it to people who are interested in Rush and I wouldn't recommend watching it to people who are like, I've never heard of this. What is this? Because I don't think it gave enough context for either thing. And my final thought is I never want to watch people film TikToks. I hate it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Maybe I'll be back with another podcast soon. Maybe I'll just keep doing these when I feel like doing them. And they'll just be fun little drops that I do randomly. Um, I hope y'all are having an amazing day. Feel free to, I don't know, follow me on Twitter or whatever. Uh, Subscribe to this podcast if you're not so that you can be here when things drop. Um... I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day, week, month, year. I will talk to you later. I'm going to go make plans for the day and get this uploaded. All right. Bye.